0: Turn this morning then in God's Word to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. Exodus, chapter 12. Begin reading this morning at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their fathers' houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take, according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of their houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it its head, with its legs and its inner parts. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. but what everyone, But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. You shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. The first month from the 14th day of the month at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Ith- Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat le- unleavened bread. And Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clan- clan- clans, excuse me, and kill the Passover lamb. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. The people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. As far as the reading of God's word. Let's again ask for God's blessings. Dear Lord, we ask that your spirit will open our heart to hear your word in the preaching of it. Will you give Pastor Bob what is needed to relay your truths in equipping us to be your faithful servants. In our Savior's name, amen. Amen. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, these words, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. There in one distinct statement of great clarity, Paul points out for us the fact that That which we just read from Exodus chapter 12 has indeed been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled by Christ. He is our Passover lamb. The question would be, how is that? It's one thing to say he's the Passover lamb. And obviously, because it is God's word, we believe it, we confess it. Paul's words are inspired words. We know that they are without error because they are breathed out by the Holy Spirit. But yet God doesn't just say, okay, that's it, just accept it. God spends a great deal of time in the Word making this connection. We sang a few moments ago about the fact that the people of Israel didn't connect the dots though God had laid out carefully for them what Messiah ought to be, what their deliverer was to be, what their Passover lamb was to be like. They failed to see. So it is indeed worth our time to spend time looking, one, at the requirements that God laid out, two, looking at the deliverance that God brings, and three, looking at the obedience that this requires as well this morning so those will be our three points to help us see how it is that Christ is the passover lamb that is being spoken of here this this is but foreshadowing what we just read god here is delivering his people yes as a foreshadow as 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 sort of a small microbe of that which he was going to do in the greater work of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, there are many connections between this lamb that is being spoken of here in Exodus and what the people were to do, and Christ. We could probably have a list of maybe 20, maybe 30 items that would show us the connection. This morning, I'm I'm just going to highlight six of them. Perhaps they're not the six that you would like connected, but uh, you can do that on your own in God's Word as well. But this morning we're going to look at six things that we see that that Moses from the Lord is commanding here that needs to happen in regards to this Lamb and how we see that then fulfilled in Christ. Here's the first. Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, we are told... Your lamb shall be without blemish. That was the requirement that the lamb was to be without blemish. In other words, the lamb was not to have any spots, the lamb was not to have any diseases, the lamb was not to have any flaws. We could perhaps incorporate and say that the lamb was to be perfect, it was to be spotless. The little lamb that they go and look at, that they have to select out, that they have to pick out, was a lamb that, that they couldn't look and say, nah, eh, this one isn't worth much, I'll use that. It, it had to be a lamb that they didn't really want to part with. It had to be a lamb that that had value. God Illustrates that he points that out, okay? By by saying to them, "I want a lamb that is without blemish." Turn with me to the book of First Peter. Just keep your finger here at Exodus twelve. We'll always keep coming back there, but find the book of First Peter, chapter one, and and just note the crystal clear. Way in which scripture sees that little part. Okay? The lamb had to be without blemish. 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. And notice the idea of ransom. Idea of, of being Uh, Of an exodus, of a leaving, of a being saved. Okay, see, you're already building the picture. Ransom from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Christ he is the spotless unblemished lamb of God in what way in what way Isaiah tells us that there was nothing about him that we should be drawn to him so I obviously Isaiah is saying it's not that we would have looked at Christ and and saw this absolutely perfect model of a person that's why So many of the pictures that we have of Christ in artwork are not true to Scripture. Most of those pictures look like he could be the model on the front page of some fashion magazine. Perfect skin, perfect beard, perfect hair, right? Isaiah tells you there's nothing about him that we should be drawn. Nothing. What does Peter mean then when he says that this lamb, Christ, is without spot or blemish? Sinless. Pure. Just as the lamb that they selected could have no obvious outward manifestations of something that they would consider to be invaluable. Christ has no sin. He is our Passover lamb, in that he, like the lamb of Exodus 12, is without blemish or spot. Second, the lamb, according to Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. God specifically ordered that the lamb that you go to the flock and pick needs to be male. Could not be female. That was was not God's way. God has chosen to identify himself in Scripture in certain ways. He identifies himself as a father. He identifies himself as son. He identifies himself as Holy Spirit. It is an affront to Almighty God to depict Him in any other way than He has revealed Himself. The next few weeks, they're going to release that movie, that Shack movie. I know some of you have been hearing Glenn Beck squawk about this and so on, and perhaps you've read reviews. Maybe you even have read the book in time past. My friends, it's nothing but idolatry. It is a depiction of God in a way he has not chosen to reveal himself. What happened at Sinai when the Israelites built a golden calf was the same thing. We'll just fashion a God after what we want them to look like. What will convey the best message? Well, that's the way we'll we'll build it. So let's build this, this cow, this golden calf, because I'm sure that will make a difference to our children. I'm sure that visualization. God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. to place in our minds the thought that God may be anything but that. It's sin. It's idolatry. Fashioning something so that we can find it more palatable. God said the lamb you choose has to be a male. Go with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Angel Gabriel visiting Mary. Verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Why is God so insistent on having his son sent? Why is God so insistent on a male lamb? Because Paul tells us in the book of Romans, that the reason for sin rest upon the shoulders of a man. It rests upon Adam. As in Adam, all sin. So in Christ shall all be made alive. In Adam, in a male. If there is going to be deliverance, that deliverance also has to come from one. Is indeed that second Adam. Jesus did not come to this earth as female. He came to this earth as the Son of God, as male, in order that he might be our Passover lamb. Third, the lamb was to be killed. Exodus chapter 12, 1. 3, 6, it is to be slaughtered at twilight. They weren't just to have this lamb and to say, oh, I got a lamb. Isn't that nice? I have my little lamb. No, you had to take your lamb, your year-old lamb, your lamb without blemish, and you had to slaughter it. You had to kill it. John chapter 10. Jesus, speaking, it's the context of I am the good shepherd. Go to verse 17, John 10:17. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge... This command I have received from my Father. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the Father has commanded that he lay down his life. And that he, Jesus, is willingly laying down its life. As a sheep before its shearers silent so he opened not his mouth the father commanded take the lamb and slaughter it what is Jesus saying in John chapter 10 the father commanded that my life be laid down the father commanded that I be slaughtered and I do so I do so willingly Turn forward to Acts Chapter two Verse twenty three. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men the father plan in a definite way the slaughter of the lamb he gave the order Exodus chapter 12 take the lamb slaughter it God, even before foundations of this world were laid, laid forth a definite plan that his son, the Passover lamb, was to be slaughtered, was to be killed. And just as those lambs were killed by the hands of men, not in some instantaneous way, not in some miraculous way, not in some... Uh, angelic way those lambs were killed by the definite act of men. So too is Christ, as our Passover lamb, killed by the definite acts of sinful men. Fourth connection is the lamb was not to be broken. Exodus chapter twelve forty six tells us that we that they were instructed that in the killing of this lamb, none of its bones were to be broken. John 19.36 tells us about this scene of Christ's death and that usually the way this occurred was that in order to hasten death, the Roman soldiers come by, break the legs of those who are out upon those crosses in order to hasten death. When they come to Christ, he is already dead. So they never break one of his bones john says this was to fulfill scripture and the scripture that is being fulfilled is not only the scripture of exodus chapter 12 but it's also the scripture of psalm 34 where david prophesies about the fact that the righteous one will have no broken bones see john looks at at this christ hanging from this cross With no broken bones. And the Holy Spirit reveals to John the fact that 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 picture that you saw there, John, that day when that soldier came and pierced his side and did not break his bones, John, that was a fulfillment. Christ is the Passover lamb. He is the righteous one, the spotless one, the sinless one. Fifth. The lamb's blood was to be sprinkled, Exodus 12:23. They are given the command about taking the branch of the hyssop and then they're to put it into the bowl and then they're to put it on the top and upon the sides. Now they're not painting the thing. It's not like the thing was white and now they're painting it all red. Okay? They're just taking it and they're dabbing it. Okay, They're sprinkling the blood upon the doorposts. Of their homes. We are told in First Peter chapter one, verse two, and it's reiterated again in Hebrews ten twenty-two, that it is by the sprinkling that we are cleansed. By the sprinkling. Why do they use that language? Why is the New Testament talking about that blood of Christ in a a matter of a sprinkling of that. Why? Exodus chapter 12. There is a connection. Paul said, he is our Passover lamb. Well, if the Passover lamb's blood is sprinkled, then what has to happen to the blood of Christ? That too has to be understood as the sprinkled blood of Christ upon the doorway of our lives. The lamb, lastly in terms of these requirements, was to be eaten. You turn back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. God's very specific about this, isn't he? The command of what you are to do, to eat, to eat. Is there anything like that in the New Testament? Your mind might go to the Lord's Supper, but that's not necessarily where Jesus took this. So let me take you again to uh, John's Gospel, John chapter 6. John 6. Down to verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, remember what happened at the Exodus? The Exodus, you know, if you don't do this, what happens? Well, then you're not one of the Israelites. Then you're, you're the outcast. Then you have no part in God's people. Notice how Jesus is phrasing this. If you do not eat the flesh and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. on this bread, will live forever. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, although we we certainly understand this and see, at least in part, its fulfillment at the Lord's Supper, Christ is, is saying, It's not just taking that piece of bread and taking the cup of juice. There needs to be a real taking me in. There needs to be a real relationship with me. The eating that Jesus is speaking of here, the eating and drinking, is is that of taking in his word taking in his truth, being involved in a living relationship with Christ. That, yes, manifests itself when we see part of that fulfilled when we come to the Lord's table, when we partake of communion, yes. But but Jesus' picture here in John 6 is bigger. It's larger than that. He's saying it's not just by that act that 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 you feed upon me. This is to be a daily thing. This is to be an ongoing thing where you find the source of your life in me. Just as they were to find the source of their sustenance for the journey that they were about to go on in Exodus chapter 12, from the meal that God was providing and commanding to them. So Christ says, for you to live in this world, you need to be feeding upon me. You need to be drinking of me. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. It's in that relationship with Christ that we find life. As I said, there's many other connections we could make. There's the timing of it all, when it occurs, and we know that Christ as well. Dies upon Passover in the New Testament. That it, 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 It's just countless how many connections there are and that the New Testament gives. I pull these out, out of Exodus chapter 12 at least to build so that we can see when Paul says, for Christ our Passover lamb has come, we've seen at least six connections there. But there is more. The whole of the event needs to be understood. In other words, the deliverance. What was going on? Well, Exodus chapter 12 makes it plain that if you put the blood upon the doorpost of your home, if you do that which God commands you to do, if you select that animal, if you slaughter that animal, if you put the blood, if you eat the animal, then the angel of death, the destroyer, is going to pass over. Now, why is God doing this? Well, we're told in Exodus chapter 12, so that the Egyptians may know, those pagan people, those sinners, God is going to punish Why did the Israelites need to do that? We learn from previous plagues, God has no trouble sorting out the Israelites from the rest of the Egyptians when it comes to light and darkness. God knows where the line is. They didn't have to do anything special, they didn't have to do something unique. Many of the plagues come upon the Egyptians alone, and it never touches the Israelites. Sometimes even Pharaoh sends his men, hey, go check out. Did this happen to the Israelites? They come back, no, it didn't. And even at this, he does not repent. So if God knows how to distinguish his people from these pagan sinner Egyptians, why does he now say, well, if you want to be delivered, you need the blood on your doorposts"? Could not the angel of death have just passed over all those who were the Israelites? The answer is no. Why? Because the Israelites are just as much sinners as are the Egyptians. In chapter 5, we read that the Israelites... Rumble against Moses already. They already are rebelling against his leadership. The one who came as the representative of God himself to bring about the deliverance. What did they do? Ah, we don't want to listen to you. Who says? Who are you? Sounding so familiar, isn't it, to when Jesus comes into this world and the people of his day had nothing to do with him, and they rejected him. Crucify him, crucify! Him. But we also learn when we come to the book of Joshua, the I think it's Joshua chapter twenty-four. Joshua is addressing these people. They've they've come all the way out of Egypt. Okay, they've been through this wilderness journey of forty years. They've been through all the battles, and what does Joshua have to say to them? Okay, now 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 it's time. Come on put away those gods that you've taken with you, that you've worshipped and followed from Egypt. God's people, the Israelites, were just as much sinners as were the Egyptians. God's people needed the blood upon their doorposts just as much as did the Egyptians. And the only way... For those people of God, those coveted people of God, to be spared the angel of death, was to have the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. There was no other way of deliverance. It wasn't like the angel of death was going to go over and go, oh. Hey, that's Aaron's house. Wow, I understand Aaron was so busy getting all these commands out. Look, he didn't even have time to put blood on his own doorpost. Okay, I, I can just look past that. God cannot look past sin. Sin needs to be paid for. Every single Israelite who desired to have the angel Of death, the destroyer, pass over their homes so that there would not be the death of the firstborn in their homes needed to have that blood upon the doorpost. Does that not, my friends, point us to the greater deliverance of Christ? Are we not all damned by our guilt? Does not Paul tell us that we've all sinned and fallen short? Doesn't matter if you've been raised in the pagan societies of this world or if you've been raised in the church. Doesn't matter if you don't have the sign of the covenant upon your forehead or if you do. Unless The blood of Jesus Christ covers your heart, covers your life. There is no salvation. We are saved only through that sprinkled blood of Christ, the Passover lamb. Only by his death. Only by his blood guilt of our damnation. Romans 3, 25. I'll back up. 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The deliverance of Israel out of Egypt is that which foreshadows our deliverance from the damnation of our guilt or our sin through the atoning blood of the Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ. Brought up into the glorious freedom of the wilderness on our journey towards glory, but free from the chains of the bondage because of the blood of Christ. But there is one final aspect, and that is the fact that all of this required obedience. Exodus chapter 12, ...points that out, doesn't it? But so does Hebrews chapter 11. It is by faith that Moses kept the Passover. It is by faith. Because who believes you're going to be delivered from a Pharaoh by putting blood on a door? I mean, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? Let's go to a group of people that is in bondage and say to them, Hey, I know you got a cruel oppressor. I know he's got a mighty army. I know he's got chariots. I know you're nothing but slaves. But listen, if you just kill a lamb, put its blood on the doorpost, you'll be delivered. How many people would want to say, yeah, right. That's going to go a long way. What does that take? It takes faith. You have to believe what the Lord has said. What did Paul just tell us here in Romans 3.25? That in order for that sacrifice, in order for that atonement, in order for that cleansing, it's not enough just to be told it, to hear the command, to know that that's what the Bible says. The people of Israel knew what it wasn't a hearing problem. They knew what Moses said. Take a lamb, kill it, eat it, put its blood on the doorpost. God's going to deliver you. The question is, do we believe it? How do we know that the people of Israel acted by faith? Because on one of the rare opportunities in Scripture, we read the following. And the people of Israel did all that they were commanded to do. They obeyed. James tells us that faith without works is dead. Without without our active obedience that demonstrates the fact That we really, truly do believe. That we truly have faith. See, think about this. I'm an Israelite. I hear what Moses says. Sounds good. Sounds plausible. I can see the Lord doing it that way. Okay, but I'm going to bed. Say, well, wait a minute. If you believe, wouldn't you select the Lamb? If you believe, wouldn't you slaughter the lamb? If you believed, wouldn't you eat the lamb? If you believed, wouldn't you put the lamb of blood upon the doorpost of your house? If you believed, would you not take that action that is required of those who believe? You say, well, of course, if you don't put the blood upon the doorpost, what happens? The angel of death, the destroyer. And take the firstborn. We too, as Christ is our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed, we too are called by faith to believe. That's not an intellectual thing, that faith is a faith of action. It's a faith of living. It's a faith of doing that which God commands. Are we saved by those doings? No. We're saved only by the blood of the Lamb. But if we say we have faith, but have no deeds, we are a liar. and The truth of God is not in us. We are called, as the people of Israel, we're called to obedience. We're called. We're called to obedience. To the truth of God's word. To live it. To display it. To do the hard things that God's word calls us to do. To strive towards that end. Let's make a law unto ourselves and to figure out, well, I'll just do what I want to do. No. We submit ourselves to the truth of God. It's the blood of Christ sprinkled over your heart. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Glory be to God. Father, thank you You've delivered us. You've saved us. We're away from the bondage of Satan. We've been set free. Glorious freedom. So that as Moses crosses over with the people, they return to you a song of praise that is mimicked again and displayed again in the glorious song of the Lamb in heaven itself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God reigns. And we thank you that you in your grace and mercy have called us, have called us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Father, as we place our faith, trust in you, may we strive Live obediently. In Christ's name, in Christ's glory, in Christ's honor, we pray. God's people say, Amen.